Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book podcaster and jolly good chap, John Suntress, about what comics he would take into a super intelligent ape takeover apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene, who have a new summer special coming out this June. The special features strips from the 77, Brawler, Space Warp, Sentinel, Wallop, and of course, the Comic Scene annual itself. Plus, a free limited edition print of the cover is included with every purchase. To get your copy of the summer special, you must be part of the Comic Scene Comic Club, which is available from just £3 a month at comicscene.org. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, John Suntress. How's it going? Hello, Samuel. It's a pleasure. Everything's going good here in uh, Chicago. It's, uh, you know, early afternoon my time. Nice. And how's the weather? Good, thank God. Finally, uh, summer is kicking in, so uh, really comfortable, and it's t-shirt weather, and uh, gosh, and you know, I'm all vaccinated. Uh, how are how are things uh, there? Are, are you guys all uh, vaccinated, or I know it's slower in Europe, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, yeah, in Europe it is, but the UK is quite different, so um, we're up to 50% double-dosed um, of adults, um, so we're we're well on our way. Um, to, 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 to reaching a majority. So, um, yeah, we're, we're really getting there. And we're, we're also, um, in good luck, uh, with the weather as well. The sun is shining. Um, and, uh, if, if you hear any birds or any cars kind of in the background, the reason for that is that I'm actually in my conservatory right now. Um, Lovely. I don't know if you use the same term, but I'm having to have the doors open because no, these... but that's great. Yeah, oh, no, it's beautiful. Um, so it's nice to kind of have some fresh air rolling in um, and kind of be, being sweating a little bit in the sun. So, <laughs> No, gorgeous. I hear the birds. That's wonderful. Exactly, man. No, it's that. Nice. Again, it's so it's so nice. I don't know how long it's been for you since being vac- you know, fully vaccinated and, and taking yeah. advantage of it. But it really yeah. – and, sp- and also waiting for the warm weather. But it really has only been the last couple weekends where it's starting to feel normal again, which is a, a big yeah. relief. Oh, very much so. Um, and uh, yeah, no, um, thing, things are starting to, to, to almost feel normal again. So uh, we're, we're on the up and up, I think. Attaboy. Um, cool yeah, totally. Um, but uh, all of that aside, John, it's a real pleasure and an honour to have you on Comics for the Apocalypse because you, you, you're probably one of the most prolific and long-lasting podcasters around and and the longest podcaster in the comics world certainly um and for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet and um there are going to be few of those um what do you do in the world of comics well i host a a podcast called word balloon i've been doing it since uh, may of 2005 so i just celebrated my my 16th anniversary and uh, i have a uh, a broadcast radio and television background primarily radio uh, here in the States, uh, have worked uh, in Chicago for the last 30-so years. And uh, one of the uh, big networks here in uh, the States is uh, CBS, and I've worked on and off for them for the local uh, stations uh, in that 30-year period and did a lot of uh, interviews for sports talk uh, radio 
that kind of is, was my training ground before I started the, the word balloon podcast back in uh, 2005. That's fantastic. And what was it that, that sparked the, your desire to start a comics podcast? Well, you know, I was covering sports and uh, was doing that in my day job and saw what was happening in podcasting. And um, initially, at the time, I was working for a company that was owned by one of the Microsoft uh, billionaires, Paul Allen. And it was called Sporting News Radio. It was a national 24-hour sports radio network. He also owned the Science Fiction Museum in Seattle. And um, I had noticed uh, that uh, they were going to have a big comic book weekend where they had artists coming in and teaching kids how to draw and basically almost like a mini convention. And uh, they had always said if, you know, kind of classic Internet uh, startup being part of Paul's empire with Sporting News Radio. Hey, if you got an idea for the company, let us know. So I suggested uh, a podcast for the museum and really suggested Word Balloon to promote the museum. And, uh, you know, one of one of his uh, managers is like, wow, really appreciate it. Really not interested. However, that's a great idea. You should just do it yourself. And I'm so glad the guy said that. I probably would have anyway. But uh, so, yeah, Word Balloon was always mine. And uh, and yeah, I just initially I was working behind the scenes in radio uh, at that time. I had hosted before. I had been a reporter, uh, mostly covered boxing. In fact, I'm a massive boxing uh, guy. Great. I love boxing. And, um, you know, I just wanted to get more on, on air opportunities. And I'm like, well, what can I talk about that uh, might elicit an interest in uh, getting a, a hosting job or a reporting job? And, you know, I mean, you know, back then it was still kind of early in terms of the geek world. I really uh, at the you know, the at that moment. Sin City was a big deal. Batman Begins was a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, yeah. you know, pre-Marvel movies as far as Marvel making their own movies in that. And yeah. uh, I just thought, okay, well, you know, Star Wars, There, you know, there are obvious other geek kind of ticks that make mainstream media. Maybe if I do a few of these interviews, that might, you know, pique somebody's interest and, and find what I'm doing interesting. Instead, it turned out to be its own thing. I always did it alongside my radio career. But in the last couple of years, I've really put more of an emphasis on it. And then certainly last year during COVID, um, especially with all of us being stuck inside and in lockdown, mm -hmm. um, I'm like, well, let me let me do more shows and uh, also let, let's uh, do more consistent video uh, as a component to Word Balloon. So really, since March of last year, I kind of upped my game and uh, been doing, you know, uh, as many as uh, four to five episodes a week and talking to the top creators and um, expanding it to uh, television and film as well and books and animation. And it's great. I mean, I've, I've really been happy with the response and uh, very pleased with the uh, different guests that I've been able to get. And the audience has grown as well. 100%. You've done an outstanding job this past year i've uh, i've certainly seen the your uptick in in output um Thanks. it's uh it's been incredible to see and uh yeah no it certainly helped uh help me get through this past year definitely well, so right, man. really Thank appreciate you, it john absolutely no no and again that's kind of what i was hoping for and it allows doing a live show uh more community um inclusion in terms of you know I just I'm kind of the most disorganized guy you'd not you'd meet, and um, 
It really is true. And I, and I, really? um, yeah. well, yeah. And I, and I'm like, well, if I do live interviews, that gives the audience a chance to ask questions at the moment. And it might, mm-hmm. uh, you know, drive them to, uh, the YouTube channel and the YouTube channel has been growing slowly. I mean, I'm a big Johnny Appleseed. If you know, your American folklore, uh, <laughs> you know, planting one seed at a time and it's one listener at a time. And I'm, I'm a patient man. The audio does great. And again, probably cause I've been doing it for 16 years and I get nice coverage from uh, the geek websites, the geek news websites, you know, uh, Bleeding Cool and uh, Newsarama and IGN and uh, various things. God, I was really pleased and blew my mind. Uh, I, I had my buddy Joe Henderson on, who is the uh, executive producer showrunner for um, the TV show Lucifer. And um, prior to this new season dropping, we had a great conversation and he teased a lot of uh, different things that were coming up in the coming um, series. And um, God, the the story really got picked up all over the place, including uh, The Guardian. And I was so excited because I love The Guardian and I I go there for for news and and the like. And oh my God, there's in The the Guardian in the UK, uh, you know, a story that linked to my YouTube uh, video and heard on the Word Balloon podcast. Joe Henderson said this about Lucifer. And I was just floored. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so, you know, you forget sometimes. But and, and obviously, as evidenced by you listening, I'm very I'm very grateful that it is a, a global audience that that watches and listens to Word Balloon. Yeah, 100 percent. And that, that's the beauty of, of things like podcasts and YouTube and things is that yep. you can reach a global audience very, very easily. Um, and uh, it's it's amazing to see kind of the the geographical locations that that crop up on on your anal- analytics, isn't it? Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, and you know, again, this even uh, back when it was just audio, when I would get my first uh, European emails and Australian emails, and mm-hmm. uh, again, like you say, just globally, and it really is. It's just very very satisfying, and I mean, something I could not achieve on terrestrial broadcast media and and truly a lot of doors have opened to me from doing the word balloon podcast that wouldn't have come had i just stuck with my radio career yeah that's incredible um and uh for for people that that haven't come across it yet um where where can they find it online and find you online well i have my website wordballoon.com uh that is where uh, the video and the audio shows up. I'm on the uh, well. I'm on the Spreaker podcast network, which just got absorbed into iHeart uh, Media. Um, so you can find me there. You can find me on Spotify under Word Balloon, uh, and then I've got my YouTube uh, channel, which is Word Balloon as well. So uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, and and most most podcast um, outlets and platforms list Word Balloon, so uh, it should shouldn't be that hard to find. Perfect, and and of course you're 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 on Twitter. I know that. Are you on Instagram as well? Oh, of course, yes. Um, uh, Twitter, I'm at John Word Balloon. Mm-hmm. Instagram, I am on just Word Balloon p- uh, proper. I'm on Facebook under my name, John Suntress, and the Word Balloon uh, Podcast and Word Balloon Network. So yeah, I mean, you know, uh, when when Snapchat came along, I'm like, I'm an old man. I shouldn't be on Snapchat, <laughs> you know, and uh, tick- I'm certainly not on TikTok. Yeah, I can't uh, although, do it either. <laughs> yeah, you know, although maybe I should put clips of my guests on on TikTok. I don't know. I mean, again, yeah, it just it seems go. like yeah, it just seems like a young person's 
platform. And the last thing I want to look like is, you know, old man at the disco trying to cruise people and stuff. And it's like, yeah, what, what the hell are you doing here, man? I mean, I, I love my age. I'm very comfortable saying I'm 56 years old. I, I think I have a very healthy, in-tune attitude when it comes to what I do. I mean, I have contemporaries in radio that are like, how do you do this podcasting thing? And I've been, you know, preaching, hey, do a podcast for really the entire time I've been doing it. So I never really feel like, okay, boomer, even though I'm not technically a boomer uh, or any any, <laughs> any barriers of, of my age. You know, no, I'm cool. And it's like, hey, great. If younger, if younger fans want to come along the ride and they seem to want to, wonderful. If it's not their cup of tea, I, that's fine, too. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just like, hey, I'm doing my thing. I'm pleasing myself, which is always my advice to anyone wanting to start their own uh, media. And it's like, you know, just be true to yourself and cover the things you want to cover. And and people you'll be you'll be very pleasantly surprised that you will find a like minded audience. Totally. That's fantastic advice. Um, Now, um, all of that aside as well, um, unfortunately, on top of being in the midst of a pandemic and you know the 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 chitter chatter of ufos becoming a real thing as well i don't know if you've if you've been watching that at all Um, there's a there's exactly crazy right there's a report coming out for for anybody that isn't in the know there's a report coming out from the pentagon this very month isn't there um about about sightings from u.s navy um But I mean, they obviously they can't say that it's it's aliens, and it it might not be, but it could be. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's keep it ambiguous. Um, but the but uh, on top of that as well, there's also been um, a super intelligent ape uprising as well. Unfortunately, just just to add to boot, um, and uh, unfortunately, it's it's kicked off in. Uh, in the Chicago area. So you're immediately <laughs> affected, I'm afraid, John. Ground zero. Okay. Yeah, precisely. So my, my first question for you is, what is your action plan for survival? Wow, that's an interesting question, especially putting it that way. So I would imagine <laughs> the apes at uh, the Lincoln Park Zoo and the Brookfield Zoo are uh, uprising. Um, well, I, I suppose I would have to, um, depending on, you know, again, if this is the very beginning and it's the outbreak, then there are still intelligent humans to combat uh, the situation. Um, I would, uh, you know, because I, I was thinking if this is years in the future, I would uh, take the Charlton Heston route and uh, certainly play, play. Uh, well, he didn't do that, actually. I guess he really was. I'm a man. What? I can talk. Leave me alone. You know, <laughs> what's the problem? But I would kind of take his broader strokes and, you know, find the hottest slave girl. The, the best looking Linda Hamilton uh, sure. that I can and get on a horse and uh, head for the beach and uh, not, not sweat the effect. If again, if it was the future, not sweat the uh, statue of Liberty being ruined, showing up and bumming me out. I, I, I think I have a healthier uh, attitude <laughs> about, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, well, and we, yeah, where, where society's going. I mean, you know, uh, Heston at the beginning of the 68 movie, is so anti-society and oh man, I can't wait to, wait to get away from man and they're idiots. And that's one of, I think one of the reasons why he wanted to be on this deep space mission. Um, that's an interesting movie really to rewatch over and over. again. And forgive me for getting slightly away from your question, but yeah, I really think that uh, a lot of what is said at the beginning of the film before they discover 
that, you know, apes are riding on horses and have rifles, uh, which I love even that. That initial scene is just like, what the hell? Uh, it's so great. Yeah. And, and it's so beautiful to see on the big screen. I, anytime you have a chance to see the, the Planet of the Apes revival film on a big screen, I highly recommend it because it really does still work. And in, despite Tim Burton's uh, uh, opinions <laughs> to the contrary, I think the very first uh, couple of ape movies are quite effective. The makeup is mm-hmm. quite good. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, sorry, man, you're wrong. And by the way, your movie with Mark Wahlberg sucks. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, so. <laughs> yeah, I liked, I did like the Matt Reeves. Uh, if Matt Reeves did the first one, I know he did the second and third um, mm-hmm. of the, of the new crop with the first one with uh, James uh, Franco and uh, Lithgow. Yes. And we're first introduced to Caesar. That, that is a great, great uh, initial movie. So mm-hmm. and that's another thing. So yeah, I would probably try to make friends uh, with the uh, Caesars and the like, and, and be a lot kinder mm-hmm. than uh, Malfoy was in uh, in in, <laughs> in, in yeah. this movie. I forget what Malfoy's name is. The actor. I think it's Tom Felton. There you go. Yes, head. indeed. So yeah. So uh, yes, I would. I would definitely act more like James Franco and John Lithgow than I would uh, Tom yeah. Feldman. Yeah. Yeah. Good plan. Um, <laughs> And uh, as as you become more friendly with these super intelligent apes, um, they they start to want to find out more about human history um, and and what you did as a species. Um, and and the conversation of comics comes up, of course, because you start telling them about your podcast and things like that. And then they go down this very specific line of questioning. Um, and the uh, first. Uh, question that they ask you is what's the first comic you remember enjoying well um you know again being 56 uh when i was a little kid a very little kid i had a lot of older cousins and uh we had a and 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 truly guys and and everyone listening and and yourself sam this was uh i'm i'm fine this was over 50 years ago but unfortunately my mother passed away at a young age and i was only i was only five when she passed away so that kind of sucked but she had, and she had a very long, uh, she had a, a disease called scleroderma, which is a very rough disease, disease that some people are able to live with. There still isn't a cure for it. Um, it doesn't get big attention as other diseases do in terms of charity, but it's still a significant problem. And again, here we wow. are 50 years later and people are still dealing with it. Is there an association? Sorry, John. Just um, Yes. And, and shame on me for not knowing it offhand, but I'm sure if you looked yeah, it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And know, what, what, sorry, what was the disease again? It's Just called so scleroderma and it literally means, okay. yeah, hardening of the skin. Wow. It uh, One of Gosh. the uh, side problems is it causes anemia. But, you know, my my poor mother and God bless her. She was amazing in her short life, dying in her 30s. But really brilliant woman uh, taught me how to read when I was only three or four years old. Uh, But she you know, this really it took a long time for uh, her eventual death. And she really did uh, live with it uh, for most of my life. And it was just tough on her. So I was always staying with uh, older cousins when she was in the hospital for long periods of time. And I have an older sister, t- five years older. And anyway, um, I, my, my best comic book memories are with my older cousins uh, reading Mad Magazines with me as a, as a little kid uh, and, you know, kind of helping me along with my reading. 
And um, yeah, I wish I could give you a specific uh, issue, but this would have been like some random 1969 Mad Magazine issues. And, you know, they would just, you know, there were uh, song parodies that they wrote out uh, and we'd sing the song parodies because they'd teach me the song. And uh, yeah, I just, I did. I really, I I loved them. I mean, they were big, goofy things from Don Martin's excellent uh, cartoons. And of course, Sergio Aragonis with the bits of business that he would do in the borders of, uh, of mad. I don't know if you, how many mad magazines you've seen as a, as a reader. Um, and it's, and it's, it breaks my heart that mad has stopped doing new content. Um, they still do put out magazines and collections and they've got, you know, 70 plus years of material to go back and, and reshow. And my God, especially mad at its prime in the fifties, Mad Magazine was really the daily show of its day. And again, American reference, but you might know it as yes, well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, there you, you know, yeah. yeah, but in terms of uh, satire on society, it was the mm-hmm. hippest magazine out there. And, yeah. and and top comedians would contribute articles and, you know, be part of the fun as well. So beyond the great, brilliant writers and cartoonists that would do things, they would have like, you know, Ernie Kovacs, who was a great American uh, comedian or Mel Brooks submit pieces for Mad. So I mean, and again, this was really in its prime in the fifties and sixties. So uh, yeah, I would I would say Mad was probably my first comic that I really really enjoyed. That's fantastic. And then did did that inspire you to to try and create your own comics at all? Not not seriously. I I know as a yeah. little kid, I I had come up, and I mean, of course, I was a superhero fan as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, got a lot of worn out comics that didn't have covers anymore. And uh, God, uh, again, American prices. Uh, this is the 12 cent era of DC and Marvel that wow. were my first <laughs> comics. So I really admired those. And also the Adam West Batman series was always on TV. And I do even have vague memories as probably a two-year-old child or a three-year-old child of it being on TV. Um, the Joker, uh, Cesar Ramirez to scare the hell out of me. Uh, <laughs> and I actually got to meet him when mm. I was high school age in, in Los Angeles at a, at a television, uh, pilot, uh, sc- shooting. And I told him, I said, you know, I, 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 I couldn't stay in the room if you were on as the guest, a villain on a Batman <laughs> episode, it really scared me that much. And he laughed. He said, good. I was supposed to scare you, but he was, couldn't have been nicer. And, um, God, I wish I don't know whatever happened to it, but we did take a photograph together, and what a thrill to to meet Cesar Romero, and and also even I'm a massive uh, classic Hollywood buff, and to mm. learn more and more about his career, oh, I wish I knew then what I know now, and and have the opportunity to really talk to him for more than just shaking his hand and telling him that he scared me. So I I went yeah. back to your you know thoughts. Yeah, I mean I would write little you know superhero stories, and they were terrible. Um, I hope the phrase is an indelicate Mary Sue stories where, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I'd save the day and save the Justice League. And I, you know, I don't know what the male sure. equivalent is of Mary Sue, but you understand what yeah. I'm saying. Like Harry um, Sue, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> say Harry Sue. Very good. Or it's certainly Wesley Crusher if you're a Star Trek fan. And I think yeah. that's what always drove everybody nuts about that first season <laughs> of uh, Next Generation. It's like, really? Really? The 12 year old kid's going to solve, solve everything. Okay. Of course. All right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, no, I mean, but no, I, and even now as an adult, it's, I have the fortunate problem of, I do have a few ideas, 
but uh, most of my uh, good friends are top artists. They're not going to waste their time on my little piddly, you know, <laughs> knucklehead ideas and stuff. They're making real money, you know, or whatever in comic books count as real money. I know, uh, you know, it's not if you're if you're trying to get rich, don't make comics, obviously. But I, you yeah. know, I, I've I've got my stories filed, and I every now and then I consider cool. like, yeah, you know, maybe I should like find a young budding artist to to hook up with, and but I wouldn't want yeah. them to do it all on back end money. I'd want to give them something. For no, yeah. Definitely, and you—you know—you could—you could do like a word balloon anthology or something. That's yeah, that's the thought, truly. And and in fact, um, I mean, I have big, ambitious, long form story ideas, but I actually yeah. do have a handful of ideas that I could convey. I know I could do it in twenty pages. Mm-hmm. I'd like to reach a point of doing them in less pages, or, or come up with other ideas. Uh, my buddy Joshua Fialkoff, who was a very active comic book writer, but now is primarily primarily an American television writer. Um, I know when he was breaking in, he would write literally five page westerns and wow. get good good artists mm-hmm. to do five pages. And it's like, well, there you go. That's something that you know they could, you know, draw in maybe a week or something like that, and. Um, that's really how he began. And I think his, his collection was called horse and buggy stories or something like that, but they were, they were great tight little Westerns and stuff. And I was always impressed by that, but you know, again, serious writer and, and doing serious things. I did, when I covered boxing, I did write articles for ring magazine and boxing illustrated uh, on and off for about 10 years. And then in addition to that, I was covering boxing on the radio, but from an article uh, and and uh, fight report standpoint, that's where my, uh, my writing experience has been in broadcasting and and in media, and then also writing uh, adverts for uh, radio and television. Uh, that was a good portion of my broadcast career as well. So um, you know, yeah, that's th- those are the areas in which that I've uh, you know kind of written. But uh, you know, we'll see. You know, never say never. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's fantastic. And please, please let me know um, if you if you're going to go ahead and do that. I'd love to get you back on the show and 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 talk about it. Thanks, man. No, that'd be great. No, I'll. Uh, oh no. And again, I, I, we'll see because truly, Word Balloon as uh, since the pandemic has really been my my main uh, focus. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you say, no, it would make a very good uh, thing to sell. That's the thing, you know, with podcasting. And again. Um, you know, certainly people do it for the fun of it and all that. Yeah. But really, the best of thing about podcasting is to be a vehicle to sell something, a service or a mm-hmm. uh, you know a product. And I've been doing this for sixteen years without a product to sell. You know, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, flir- I had a word balloon T shirt for a while, but that's kind of a pain in the butt to you know maintain mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, no, I should really have something. And yeah, I mean, again, I do have these ideas, so we'll see. Awesome, man. Awesome. Now, um, heading back to your conversation with the super intelligent apes who are somewhat holding you hostage. Um, the next question that they ask is, what's the funniest comic that you've read? Well, lately, and when I say lately, I would say in the last uh, 10 years or so, mm. I've really been blown away by one American creator, an independent creator. His name is Kyle Starks. Yeah. Friend of the show, he's been on. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. That kid is so – and he's a kid to you know compared to me. But <laughs> when I first met him at a convention, I had never read any of his stuff. We were in uh, the city of Cincinnati at a Comic-Con. Mm. And immediately on the panel, he was cracking me up. And he gave me 
his book Sex Castle. Great. And I yeah. think Sex Castle is just flat out fantastic. I love mm-hmm. his cartoony style of art. And um, you know, it's a it's a walking tall parody. And I, I sent um, you know, I mean, for people who don't know it, Saint Shex Castle is uh the former world's greatest assassin. He uh accidentally killed the vice president. He uh was sent to prison, but now he's uh selling fry- flowers and wants to get away from the killing business, but all of a sudden he runs into kind of a walking tall situation where a bunch of jerks are running his town and he's got to get back into business. And it's hilarious. I mean, and, and his subsequent stuff is great. He's one of the Rick and Morty comic book writers as well. And I think his stuff uh, maintains the flavor of the com- the cartoon in the best ways. So yes, I would say anything that Carl Starks does is hilarious to me. 100% agree. There are some great lines in Sex Castle, and I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I probably uh, read it for the first time maybe about nine months ago. Oh, no kidding. Um, yeah, yeah, because we, we had Kyle, I had Kyle on the show, yeah, probably around about six to nine months ago, something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I read Sex Castle in preparation for it, and it just cracked me up. There are just some great lines in there. Um, really so, so some of which aren't appropriate. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I, I really did. You know, this 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 question in particular, when the apes uh, presented it to me, I really uh, I had to think, and they were threatening me with you know whips and chains and, and the like. And I'm like, I don't know. Give me a minute. Give me a minute, because I really did. I'm like, oh man, because yeah. you know, I I'll be honest. I do think it's hard to do great comic book humor. Yeah, um, I mean, definitely. I appreciate a great comic strip. And certainly was a Charles Schultz Peanuts fan, and mm-hmm. probably could have made that answer as well. And that's something I've loved as a, you know since a child. And you know, thank God they they still put out uh, runs of of his stuff since he's passed because he was a genius, and mm-hmm. that stuff was really great. But even that was just more wry than actually like Busta got laughing. And that's why I was like, holy cow, look at this guy, uh, Kyle St- Starks, and what he's able to do. So yeah, I, I'm uh, as you are as well. Massive fan. I recommend everything that he does. 100%. That's fantastic. Uh, now, uh, changing gears a little bit, the uh, the apes ask you, what's the saddest comic that you've read? Well, and it's funny because they also asked me for my most upsetting moment in a comic as well. That's right. Um, yeah. uh, the saddest comic, and it was odd that it, and it, and it actually came out before my mother had passed, but there was this really weird Superman story from uh, the 1968 Superman 215. And it was an imaginary story that Superman and Lois got married. Uh, Lois dies and Superman has to carry on uh, with a young daughter to raise. And it even has this weird kind of bizarre thing where he builds like his Superman robots of the bronze and silver age, uh, a Lois Lane robot. And she plays with the, the daughter and, you know, has a dinner with Superman. And then all of a sudden she's like, I love you. I love you. I love you. And kind of caught in a broken record loop. And it's so weird. <laughs> but but it did really bum me out because, God, if you ever see the cover, you could see this. Um, I, I don't know who drew it because it, it looks like it might be Neil Adams. Uh, but it's this like very modern, uh, even though it was still the 1960s, look at Superman and um He's at Lois's grave and oh, beloved mm-hmm. wife of Superman, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, and sadly, uh, and again, I think I read it after my mother had passed away. Probably one of those. I don't know if they had these in England, but um, 
you know, uh, they would have uh, coverless comics that they would bag together and sell cheap. And, and like, you'd get three comics for just, like, when comics were 20 cents, you'd get three comics for maybe 35 cents. And and they would have no covers, but, you know, you'd get comics in there. And nice. I know that that was one of them. Um, and, yeah, like I said, it just really, that that to me was really, really sad. But it was an imaginary story. And, again, I didn't, didn't go, uh, didn't become crazy, didn't become a psychopath, didn't start killing people on a rooftop and asking, <laughs> well, you know, why did, why did my mother take, you know, why was she taken away from me? I, everything's okay. But back then it made me cry. Oh, and then the most upsetting comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, and this was really weird. And I, I, I'm, this is jumps ahead a few years. I believe I was probably 12 or 13 when this came out, but it's uh, an issue of Marvel's what if series. And it's interesting that the animated series or special, I'm not really sure how it's being put out, uh, from a uh, Disney television when they do it, but it was mm. what if 32 and it was the Corvax saga, which is that classic Avengers story. And, you know, Corvette, this omnipotent uh, uh, villain. And uh, it's what if he won? And he, he starts by killing the Avengers and they throw every superhero and villain team against him and he keeps defeating them. And then finally, he absorbs the Marvel Universe and becomes one with the Mar- that Marvel Universe. And when he realizes there's nothing else left to do other than just be, and he's just facing timeless nothing you know or just you know not whatever i I forget how they spell it out but essentially he uses the ultimate nullifier from uh your galactus and fantastic four lore and uh use it uses it on himself hence the universe and the last page of the story is an outline of corvac but the entire rest of the page is white and the narration says and all of a sudden everything went blank into nothingness and that really was like, wait, it ends like that? <laughs> like, and, and and the Watcher comes on at the end. This is one of the most disturbing universes I ever saw wink out of existence, blah, blah, blah. But that really was like, yeah, you know, like fading into nothing like that. And the entire page basically being nothing. It was like, wow, that was really scary. So that messed me up. Oh, sorry, sorry, if you don't want me to ask, how old were you when you, when you read that one? Like 12 or 13. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I just did it. Just, it was like, oh, okay. And it's funny. I was also thinking too, when I was nine or 10, um, I read the reprint of the death of Gwen Stacy wow. that Jerry Conway yeah. wrote in Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And that just, it didn't upset me. It blew my mind from a right. storytelling standpoint mm-hmm. that comic books can have consequences. Cause I really was used to, I was primarily a DC guy up until, my adolescent years when I really started getting into Marvel. And I mean, I was aware of Marvel because we had Marvel cartoons like the 67 uh, Spider-Man series and also the Marvel superhero cartoons of the 60s where they took the comic panels and slightly animated them. So I was aware of all the Marvel heroes, but I was mostly like, you know, enjoying those as cartoons and not really reading the comics. But yeah, I got to tell Jerry Conway the first time I spoke to him, like, I was nine years old and you blew my mind with that death of Gwen Stacy. Cause that's like, wait a minute, you know, like, Sp- like, and maybe Spider-Man was the cause and that ambiguous crack of her neck as he tries to save her mm-hmm. with the web. Yeah. I mean, I was right there as a reader with Spider-Man where it's like, wait, he, he saved you. 
Like, you shouldn't be dead. Mm-hmm. He saved you. What the hell just happened? And then when he's screaming at uh, the sky and like, I'll get you, Goblin, if it's the last thing I do. I'm like, yeah, get him. And and really, like mm-hmm. I said, it was like, it didn't upset me. It just, it really did. It just really surprised me. And all of a sudden I realized that stories can have real consequences. Oh, that's great. And it's it's so good when when you're young and you have something like that that kind of challenges your thought process on on morality and yes. things like that, isn't it? Um, and and, that, and that, that's where I think comic books really shine, um, particularly for, for, for young people where comics can do it so quickly and effectively and get you to kind of challenge yourself, challenge your thoughts and things. And I think sure. we, we, we potentially need to bring that attempt to try and bring that back a little bit. I don't know if we've lost it, but. Well, and I, well, I don't know. And again, I think you're only young once. And the question more is, is it doing it for the, uh, the adolescents and the children that are reading this stuff? I mean, um, mm-hmm. everybody rolled their eyes in my age group and in, around my circles when um, I believe it was Jonathan Hickman when he was doing Fantastic Four and he killed Johnny Storm. Right. And they're, well, we all know Johnny's going to come back. You know, and it's yeah. like, yeah, but what about that kid that's buying this for the first time and doesn't have adults telling him don't worry or whatever. Um, And, and my God, uh, John really Hickman really used the opportunity to tell some really intense stories and just like the other three grieving about Johnny and like two things that really stood out to me. And if I was a little kid, I'm sure I would have been touched by him. And they still also did touch me on an emotional level. Uh, was, uh, first of all, Spider-Man being on a rooftop with Franklin and telling him, I know how you feel. I lost an important uncle to me once as well. Obviously, Uncle Ben. And that's the thing. It's like, oh, wow. But the best to me was it was the, it was a silent page and it was the thing, the thing, Hercules, the Hulk, and Thor. And the thing was so overwrought that he needed something to punch. And they basically all give him a chance to attack and, you know, have like this group fight with him and he's just pounding away and it ends with him grabbing the Hulk by the shoulders and weeping in his chest. And wow. Thor and Hercules just kind of solemnly looking down like, yeah, we get it. And it was like, wow, like even like the Hulk and the thing that have fought each other a million times. <laughs> it's like and I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, Bruce had a level of intelligence or maybe even not. But that's the thing that even the Hulk, like the Hulk would give the thing his moment and be like, yeah, it's okay. You know? And it's like, wow. So, I mean, that's the thing. And I, and again, you need to suspend belief enough to allow moments like that to happen. And again, it's the right, it's the reader's choice. If they mm-hmm. want to roll their eyes, I, it's, I always say a lot of the comic book deaths and a lot of comic book tropes, they're like carnival rides. And it's like, okay, you outgrow the tilt to world. At, at a certain age and you're just or you don't i mean roller coasters mm-hmm. you love them your whole life or you're like yeah all right i've done that enough and i can say that as someone who used to love roller coasters and now in my <laughs> 50s yeah I, mean, I, I get it i don't need i don't need you know my stomach and my throat like when i was a kid <laughs> yeah. so uh so yeah so i mean and that's the thing so because i've heard and especially i i this is i won't deny where I kind of get angry at some of my fellow podcasters, everyone is entitled to their opinions. But that said, it's like, I heard one uh, friend who used to do a podcast say, well, I'm a grown man. 
I, I'm not fooled by this stuff anymore. And it's like, then it's time to stop riding on the tilt a whirl. And that's okay. Yeah. But you got to understand that there's a bunch of 10 year olds that this is their first tilt a whirl ride. And mm-hmm. they might, they might still find it exciting and thrilling. Leave them alone. Exactly. Now that, that's a great analogy for, 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 for that. And uh, yeah, that's definitely one that I'm going to keep in my back pocket <laughs> to bring out. Um, Cause no, that's, that's a really good point. You know, um, there are plenty of people out there that that do want to enjoy those rides, and you know the the other rides are there still, right? Well, as well. Also, so go enjoy them. <laughs> and also, you know, um, the primary business, or at least one of the things that they want to do, and and actually, I, I don't know if the last ten years or five years have changed in the comic books where uh, they're not as inclined to try and get young readers sucked in. Uh, but I, I, I have to believe that's still part of their plan. And it's mm-hmm. like I said, it's like, look, this or or compared to a magic trick, it's like, that's what they're doing. That's what DC and Marvel do. And every now and then they do recycle and, and give an opportunity for us to be shocked by the death of a character and taking a character off the board for a while. And it's like, you just have to accept that's part of the deal. And you've got two options to accept it or not. But don't, you know, don't, don't spoil the party for everybody else. Fair point. Fair point, John. Very good. Um, now, um, back to our ape conversation. And the, uh, the next question that arises is, what's the scariest comic that you've read? Well, I wouldn't say scariest, but I would say the most horrifying moment that I've read in a comic mm-hmm. uh, was probably uh, Vigilante, the original series, number 50, um, vigilante, if you don't remember, a Teen Titans uh, anti-hero uh, who was definitely cut from the Punisher cloth. Uh, Adrian Chase was a judge, kind of almost like Daredevil as well with Matt Murdock, where uh, the system doesn't take uh, care of uh, criminals the way they should. So Adrian uh, Chase became the vigilante, first in the Titans, then uh, moved on to his own series. I loved the design of uh, the Vigilante's co- uh, costume. It was almost like a uh, skiing kind of look or whatever with uh, goggles, with red goggles and no face. Uh, the cowl completely covered his features. and um, But sadly, as the comic went on and because he was killing so many people, um, the deaths were piling up. The circles of influence were getting closer to his own personal circle and finally, the last guy that he kills accidentally is a good man, and he can't face himself. The, the final cover is Adrian uh, with a gun in his hand facing a mirror, and in the mirror reflection, it's Vigilante pointing the gun back at him. And the book ends with him killing himself. And then there's a postscript in the letter page from Paul Kupperberg, who had taken over the series, explaining why they felt it was necessary and that um, Chase was... Uh, irredeemable and Mm -hmm. uh, couldn't couldn't come back from his final sins and it was a very well handled uh uh you know essay and comic that said there's no way in hell they'd do that today neither Mm -hmm. neither of the big two would ever do that with any of their characters today and that's uh but it but it really did i was like wow i didn't see that coming um you again you always assume that something will happen and maybe he'll be able to, you know, fix things or get help or whatever. And mm. no, you know, I mean, that was the thing. No, he killed himself. And it's just like, wow. Uh, Straight so yeah, up consequences. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, that was my powerful. most terrific moment reading a comic. Definitely. Yeah. And that's really powerful. Um, and you're, you're probably right that, you know, the, certainly the big two wouldn't do that today. Um, but do you, do you think that's the type of thing that would appear in indie press in some form? You know, I'm not sure. It was interesting. I yeah. was listening to a, a movie podcast that I like called The Projection Booth. And they were uh, looking over uh, Better Off Dead, uh, an old uh, uh, 80s teen comedy, and totally played for absurdity. And um, John Cusack uh, was the was the lead, and he's in love with his ex, his girlfriend. His girlfriend breaks up with him, but he's so in love with her. Yeah, he's got photographs all over his room that today would look like a stalker's room, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where his hangers have life size cutouts of his girlfriend that he hangs his clothes on and stuff. And again, it's just absurd when you see it; it's ridiculous. Uh, two guys around my age were talking about how much they loved the movie. They had a third host, and she was around 29 or 30. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, first of all, the guy's a stalker. Secondly, he's always trying to kill himself. I don't think this is fun. And mm-hmm. again, unfor- you know, uh, as, as uh, someone who comes from a country where the Victorian age was, bro- was born, uh, you know, 200 years ago, uh, I I understand, or I guess just uh, you know, hundred a hundred and change from Queen Victoria's time. You know, societal mores go back and forth. I yeah. hope we do. I, I, of course, suicide is a horrible, horrible thing. Mm. I, I would, I would, and and certainly, you know, people who have the problem should should get, you know, or are considering it should absolutely get help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, yeah, sure. I do think we've lost the ability to laugh at ourselves in a lot of ways. And um, that bothers me. It it disappoints mm-hmm. me. I expect, or I, I respect and willfully will follow the moors of today and appreciate where it's coming from. And again, I hope that things lighten up, but right now during the culture wars, nobody's interested in. And I, I yeah. feel terrible for a lot of comedians uh, that have to be very careful about what they say and how they say it. And that's disappointing to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a difficult landscape out there at the moment. Um, and uh, so my my father took his own life um, oh my God, when, so when, I, when I was eight. So <clears throat> wow. just a little bit older than you were when you lost your, your mother. Um, so you were kind of in, in, in similar-ish <laughs> situations. Um, yeah, man. Good Lord. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'm Sorry yeah. to hear that. Yes, jeez. No, 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 no. Thanks. Um, but uh, yeah, when when I hear jokes about uh, about suicide, I, I honestly don't mind. And for the most part, and it's I guess it's it's all about how it's how it's presented, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, well, that, and that's I've, the I've thing seen that some I... really funny ways that that comedians have come up with the way that they've presented a suicide joke, and I've genuinely laughed out loud. And it's like you, you nailed it. You know. Well, and it's, it's better off dead. It really is only the first act, and 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 yeah. uh, you know he's slowly getting over being being jilted by his girlfriend, and uh, it becomes a very different movie. And and yeah, I mean, again, this is act one. And I do think it's I, I just that uh, Savage Steve Holland was the name of the director. And he always right. called himself Savage Steve. 
he later became a big animator and would incorporate cartoons in his films as well. But he made like three really funny movies, Better Off Dead, One Crazy Summer, and How I Got Into College. And Cusack is in the first two, One Crazy Summer and Better Off Dead. But all three of them are just, to me, and and again, I was a teenager, so it was aimed at me. They mm-hmm. definitely were guy comedies and guy trying to get the girl. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think they're very, very funny and silly. I'm going to have to check uh, it out. And, and really, again, uh, really play in the, the absurd in the best way. So I, um, yeah, yeah, that's, those are, like I said, so I understand where the woman is coming from and anyone else who mm-hmm. sees the, the true tragedy of suicide now and saying, well, I'm sorry. That's just as, as John Cleese, I, I, uh, would always say, you know, there's nothing funny about cancer and it's like, yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm like, that's, yeah. that's a very smart and fair point. There's nothing funny about cancer. So, you know, yeah, fair enough. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, um, it's, uh, it's an interesting, uh, time that we're living in. I think, I think we've still got a lot to work out about how, yeah. how we all think. things. I think the, the, the overarching thing is just trying to put yourself in other people's shoes, aren't, isn't it? Um, yes. And try, trying to understand each other. Um, True. and, uh, where, where it's coming from as well. Perhaps as I, I try know. to understand the apes as well as they take <laughs> precisely, over. John. You nailed it. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's something that I've I've been thinking about trying to explore as well. Is kind of is the role of suicide, and particularly with men as well. Um, and, and not to re- be, be a real downer with all of this, but like you know, no, no. I, th- I think it's like eighty percent of suicides, at least in the UK, are, are male. So wow. there's a, there's a, there's a real kind of uh, it's really lopsided towards male and there's some real psychology there as to why it's it's mostly men that take their own lives um not to diminish you know the 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 women that are taking their lives but um yeah no there's some some real male specific psychology that's going on as to why they're doing that and yeah i'd I'd love to explore that in a story one day but interesting um, yeah no um it is it is um but that aside and try to try, try to uh, brighten up um the, the sure. conversation with your with your ape friends um and uh, that is my favorite question and that is what is your favorite cover my favorite cover uh in particular there was a great artist um who mostly did his work uh in the 60s and 70s at DC uh was this brilliant man named Nick Carty and uh, Nick Carty uh, used to draw in particular, uh, there was just this period where he was drawing exceptional um, Teen Titans covers and also Aquaman covers. Now, this cover of mine is more of a traditional Silver Age looking cover that mm-hmm. he did. And it's from Aquaman 30. And it was a Death of Aquaman, of course, fake out story. But the cover didn't suggest as much. Uh, Aquaman is on a slab being carried in a kind of funeral procession by Batman. It's underwater, so Batman's got a a, a clear plastic bubble covering helmet over his cowl. <laughs> Superman, Hawkman, and Metamorpho. And uh, Mera and Wonder Woman are kind of in the distance, lagging behind, and, and uh, Wonder Woman is consoling uh, Mera as she's weeping. And I and I love this. First of all, I, just, I I don't know why. I just think again, Nick Cardi was so. All of his covers were brilliant, and um, 
there's just a lot of extreme Aquaman covers from the 60s and 70s. And uh, But also, I just think this period is interesting because it kind of tells you which books DC felt were important to include these characters on the cover. And especially, like, of course, Superman and Batman. But, you know, this is in the midst of Joe Kubert's uh, Silver Age Hawkman run. And this is when Ramona Fraden was doing Metamorpho. And I don't remember if it was either in a Metamorpho book or if it was in a book that had a different, like, House of Mystery title or whatever. The way uh, John Jones stories were in, uh, uh, I think, House of Mystery as backup stories back in the day. But, um, you know, yeah, like, Metamorpho it was this really weird kind of crazy design. And obviously they wanted to make a big deal of that. And again, Hawkman. But it's just, that's why I'm like, okay, you know, not Flash, not Green Lantern. Hawkman and Metamorpho are the other two of the quartet carrying Aquaman's dead body. And it's like, wow. And again, it's just this really interesting Silver Age cover. And I adore it. And uh, I have it framed. I, uh, I, I, And again, there's, I mean, it's it's not that rare of a comic or valuable of a comic. But it really is like probably my favorite Silver Age cover. Oh, that's wonderful! Just to like have that connection with a with a cover and a and a comic itself, and uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty unique. It's a very unique cover, I think. You did really? see it, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Great, um, and uh, yeah, no, I th- I think it's really unique um, in terms of the way that it's laid out. Um, and you know the fact that you know Aquaman's upside down, everybody's yep. the, everybody else is the right way up, um, and uh, yeah, no, it's just it's really unusual. I think it it, it would have certainly stood out on the uh, on the shelves at the time as well. Yeah, and you know you go to the you cut to the nineties and the death of Superman story, and you've got funeral for a friend, and you've got the Superman casket with the Superman emblem, and. Got a pantheon of of the DC heroes all looking solemnly as the the funeral progression goes, and this just being this little small group, and uh, yeah, like you said, the way it's laid out, the fact that you see Aquaman and that he is upside down because mm-hmm. they're coming towards us. Um, yeah, I just I, I do. I, I, I the first time I saw it, I loved it, and again, go a, jump a couple years later, and Cardi's art got more sophisticated as he got older and it's more airbrushy and really interesting things. But um, yeah, it and, and, and his Aquaman covers continue to be very dynamic. He's the one who did the black Manta classic uh, Aquaman cover where they even mess with the logo and black Manta is standing on top of the logo with a prone Aquaman mm-hmm. over his head. You know, he's holding him up and stuff, but yeah, there's a, there's so many great and all, and again, affordable. So really if people are intrigued, by this, I would seek out more of these silver and bronze age uh, Aquaman covers because you can find them and they're uh, they're reasonable. and And there's a there's there's a lot of killing of Aquaman going on in these uh, in these <laughs> stories. I don't know, what, poor poor Aquaman. I don't know what the deal is, but yeah, he's usually like about to die, or there's giant uh, Hulk version of Aquaman ready to kill him. You know what? Or dying of thirst. You name it. Oh man, that sucks. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, gosh, I guess he was just asking for it back then. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like, at least the writers thought so. Well, um, and you know, too, that this period, um, again, there was an animated Aquaman series. 
So, you know, they, 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 I do understand why they were, why he had his own solo book, why they were uh, exploiting him and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, this was the period that uh, pre Super Friends, when Aquaman was, you know, uh, uh, it was the Superman Aquaman hour. That was one of the cartoons that was out there back then. Wow. Now, um, going back to to our ape conversation, um, and another of my favorite questions, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Well, I, as you can tell, I am a, and by a lot of my answers, uh, and, and it makes sense because these were my first comics. Uh, I love the Silver Age. I love the Bronze Age. Uh, they were my, you know, initial excitement about the medium, and. Um, I really every time uh, Darwin Cook would do a story, and especially uh, retro stories, he always had my attention. And uh, the New Frontier, mm-hmm. both as it came out uh, episodically in magazine, and then also when it was finally collected, I, it's it's truly my favorite uh, book of all time. And uh, got to t- I never had Darwin on the podcast, but I did get to talk to him many times over the years, and just unfortunately schedules didn't mesh. But um, the first time I met him, it was still coming out monthly, and I brought him one of the issues to sign, and he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, what do I think? This is amazing. Because they were <laughs> they were 64-page or 48-page, I can't remember what the length was, each mm-hmm. issue, but they were floppies. You know, they were magazines. Right. And yeah. uh, he's like, I'm so mad at DC. And, I, and he's telling me this. It's the first time I'm meeting him. I'm just a fan. <laughs> and I'm like... Why? And he goes, well, I want these to be like the old Dark Knight Returns format of uh, and I wanted it to be reasonably priced so people would buy it because it's kind of experimental and it's not in continuity. And he's explaining all that. And I, you know, of course, I'm, I understand I've been reading for a long time, so I get it what he's complaining about. But he said the only way that they could he said it was in my contract that it would be affordable. And they're like, well, the only way it's affordable is if we make it a floppy. And he was just so mad. He's like, look how flimsy this is. He's like, this should be square bound and have a cardboard cover. And that was my intent. And, you know, he goes, and they screwed it up. He didn't see, he swore. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry, man. But after that, I was so, such a fan that anytime I would see him at a convention, I would start talking to him and stuff. And he was, he was amazing over there. Such a, such a great guy. Very passionate. uh, Very much, very opinionated in the best ways of, you know, mm-hmm. defending his work and, and just his ideas of what comics should be. Uh, and then, as I told you, I was a boxing person and I bec- and I discovered and especially one of the one of the great moments in the comic is uh, it's that bridging between the Golden Age heroes and the new Silver Age heroes at the time. Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of final Golden Age stories as much as you do first Silver Age stories of the new the new Justice League and that. And there's a great story, he's not in costume, about Wildcat, Ted Grant. Ted Grant's secret identity is he was, uh, you know, a heavyweight champion. And it's his last fight, so I don't know if he had the title then or possibly not, but he's fighting Cassius Clay, Ali, before he changed his name. And it's a great fight, and uh, Ali's Ali's beating him, but, you know, and uh, and I love Ali, by the way. Ali is truly my favorite uh, boxing hero Mm -hmm. of, of my life. Uh, but Ted beats him, like comes back and kind of finds the the grit and the will, is able to turn around the fight and knock him out. And so Ted Grant wins his final fight and he beats Cassius Clay. 
And it's like, oh, that's awesome. And, I, and he's like, oh, I'm a massive boxing fan. So we bonded over that. Um, and just everything that Darwin did, uh, I think, uh, you know, and again, it's this is the first book. But God, even um, before he passed away, he had a variant cover month of iconic uh, shots of all the DC heroes and villains. And they're amazing. And I've got uh, refrigerator magnets that were made from those covers. So mm-hmm. it's it's all about Darwin Cook in my house. And um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, I, and I'm bummed that I, he drew a little remark kind of sketch in one of his IDW Parker adaptations of uh, those great crime novels and he turned them into crime comics. Uh, but other than that, I have no original uh, Darwin Cook art to, to my name or credit, but it was just always, I really liked Darwin. We always talked about coming on. He never did, but yeah, any, anytime something comes out with Darwin. And in fact, I know IDW is putting out a final collection of Parker stories and, um, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips are going to do one story. I one additional story in the, in the volume as well. Ed has told me that Um, I'm looking forward to that, but yeah, Darwin, it's, it's all about Darwin cook and just the way his love for that era. And he's only a couple, he was only a couple years older than me and just his adoration of DC silver age. And it just comes through in his art. hundred percent. And uh, yeah, I read that for the first time about a year ago. Oh, because um uh regular listeners to the to the podcast will know my uh my uh origin story into comics um is only about five years ago is when i actually only got into comics um and it was actually yeah and it was actually via it was via the walking dead um having watched the tv show find out it's a comic book and then read the all of that then read invincible um and then started reading everything else <laughs> basically under the sun um, and uh yeah obviously wanting to kind of read the classics basically and uh dc new frontier is is one that that, that crops up uh, at least once a month on on the show <laughs> um, as one of the comics and uh yeah um I'm, i managed to read it last year and yeah no it's it's a fantastic read and to to, to again like have that all in one one book it's it's fantastic to kind of read it all the way through in one. At oh one yeah, time. the the omnibus is. I don't know if you have the omnibus edition. I, I do. do. It's yeah. It's yeah. It's so worth it. Absolutely, man. So yeah. may I ask how old you are, Samuel? Uh, I am thirty seven. Okay, great. Wow, that's terrific, so a late man. bloomer, a very late bloomer. No, but that's wonderful. <laughs> and again, that shows you that you don't have to be a child to be indoctrinated into comics. And certainly, no. I do know uh, people younger than me whether it's Sandman with Neil Gaiman or, or yeah. Walking Dead is a great uh, entry point. So, mm-hmm. no, I get it, man. Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, now, uh, moving on to our next question, and that is, what's the most underrated comic that you've read? Well, I'm a Justice Society fan because I've always loved mm-hmm. those those costumes. And as a child in the 70s, they were reprinting a lot of Justice Society stories in particular. And, you know, they don't read very well now as an adult. They really were written for for 10-year-olds, but I was 10 in the 70s. So yeah. it worked for me. And again, I just, you know, I, the first time I saw Alan Scott Green Lantern, I was used to Hal Jordan for years. And I'm like, who's that? And why is he different? And then, of course, you get the narrative boxes that explains 
Earth 2 is a parallel universe and blah, 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 and all that. Uh, James Robinson and Paul Smith did The Golden Age, which was prestige format, as Darwin Cook had hoped for uh, for New Frontier. Mm. And uh, kind of came out square. But it was a little more expensive, I think, than Darwin wanted New Frontier to be. But um, it's the, to me, it's the best Justice Society story, especially... Uh, I mean, there was America versus the Justice Society that kind of dovetailed into the House on American Activities Committee, and they were asked to unmask. And instead, um, I forget if it was the Specter or whomever uh, had them blink out of the uh, Senate uh, hearing, and you know they they just unmasked and they went away. Well, this kind of really goes into detail what they were doing after they unmasked. And what their lives were like after the World War II and and in the into the fifties uh, mm. era, and um, I love that story. I, I just think it's fantastic. I mean, Alan Scott uh, really you know focuses on his life as running another reason the Gotham Broadcast Company, and Jay Garrick continues to be a police scientist. And uh, you know, then you get um, I was a big uh, fan of the All Star Squadron, which was what uh, Roy Thomas was doing with the um the superheroes that weren't uh the frontline superheroes but they were all on the home front and uh you know like uh they had the tarantula and they had lady liberty and or liberty bell rather and um mm-hmm. you know so it just kind of said where johnny quick johnny quick's the main uh character in um golden age and you know just his admiration for the frontline jsairs and what he was trying to do and I just thought it was all really, really interesting. And, and um, yeah, and also it has this very interesting kind of subversive plot in terms of uh, how a villain is coming back. If people don't know the story, I would recommend buying it. And it ends uh, very hopeful and ushering in the Silver Age. And it's it's just great. I mean, I, I just, I, I always appreciate, I'm not saying this because you're from the UK, but truly, and I was just saying this last week in a, um, I did a panel for uh, the upcoming San Diego being online. Mm. Uh, and um, I really love hearing British and international opinions of American comics because everyone else, if you're not born here, you're coming at it from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. And by the same token, I love American uh, opinions of products like 2000 AD. And yeah. I love talking to British creators like Pat Mills, who doesn't like doing superhero stories at all. And I don't, and I get it. I understand. Yeah. That's the thing. So, but James was really, you know, really enjoyed uh, American heroes, but also the infrequency of getting uh, comics where, you know, as you know, especially back in the old days, a lot of American comics were used um, as weight and ballast for ships that were going to the UK. So after they landed, they would like unload all the all the, uh, you know, cargo and also these this ballast and throw it away or whatever. And all the British secondhand shops would pick up these discarded comics and sell them. And that's how, as I understand it, guys like James and uh, some of the others and Mark Miller and the like, this is how they found their American comics before. I know Marvel UK certainly became a a studio and and would exploit stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, especially DC. So that's why it's like, man, they really liked like Metamorpho and a lot of the third tier heroes, because a lot of times those were the comics that they would like get, because those would be the ones that are discarded. 
because they didn't sell here. Mm, right. And it's like, oh man, I want to read more about, um, you know, again, Metamorpho or Robbie Reed, Dial H for Hero, whatever, you know, these kind of weird, quirky things. And uh, and James's Golden Age story drawn by Paul Smith has a lot of these second tier 40s and 50s superhero characters that, you know, were not at the front of adventure comics or action comics, but back when they were still 64 pages or 48 pages would be backup features and things. So that's uh, he, he really fleshed out uh, their personalities and possible trajectories of their careers if they ditch their costume uh, personas and what happened to them. And then again, this weird little uh, conspiracy starts happening and Johnny's trying to get the band back together to kind of investigate it and how they all react to what's going on or do they want to fight or not and get involved. So that's, I think it's a terrific, I don't know if you've ever read the golden age. No, that is one that I haven't read yet. And that's going straight onto my reading pile. Oh, so so th- thanks for the recommendation. Oh, no, my that's, pleasure. That's great. And it is, it is canny that how, you know, British writers seem to have a knack of revitalizing kind of second tier characters, isn't it? No question. No question. <laughs> and again, thankfully, not much was done with them. It's it's mm. so like kind of fortuitous that they were st- still from that very bland, straight up, straightforward storytelling and never got the chance to really like, let's let's get into these things. And yeah, I mean, like, uh yeah, I don't even want to spoil, but you know, yeah, certain certain characters were together, uh, and then are no longer together in uh, in the Golden Age story. So there's like a good soap opera of just personal characterization going on along with the action story, and I, I think it's great. Fantastic! I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what I think when yes, I uh, do. when I read Seriously, it. Yeah, yeah, I hope you do. That'd oh yeah, great. I will. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Awesome. Uh, now, uh, coming on to our penultimate question, um, and that is, what comic would you recommend to a friend who's never read comics, or or a, or an ape that's never read comics? <laughs> well, uh, you know, and it, and of course there was the movie, and they sort of touch on some of the themes from the specific issue, but I would give them Watchmen number eight because, and that's the uh, the issue where you get Rorschach's origin story as he is speaking to the prison psychiatrist who is very confident that he will be able to repair uh, Walter Kovacs and get his mind right and and very optimistic when he starts. And then he learns about Rorschach. And Rorschach, unfortunately, kind of drags him into his own personal nihilism. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, it you know, and it, and it happens slowly. One of my, I mean, of course, it has my absolute favorite, um, scene in a comic book and that's when Kovacs is in jail and uh there's a big giant con that has been waiting to with a shiv you know a blade to mm-hmm. stab and possibly kill Rorschach a long time coming and and they're in the the uh the the line at the cafeteria to get food and Rorschach reaches over and there's a deep fryer full of uh hot you know boiling uh oil fat and just dumps it on this guy. And the guy is being burned alive and screaming. And of course, the guards all grab Rorschach and he's dragged out of the cafeteria. It's a scene in the movie, but it's handled so much better in the comic where you could, in in my mind, because, um, and I'm forgetting the name of the actor, but the guy who played Rorschach in the movie 
who's a great actor, by the way. I love him. Uh, Jackie Haley. Yeah. Jackie Earl Haley. Great actor. And I got to actually talk to him about this at the Watchmen press junket. And right. I'm like, you're so great. And, and really, you get, you know, Kovacs in such a very specific way. And you're really, I go, you're, you're really one of the best things about this movie. Uh, but anyway, you know, uh, in the narrative, it's the psychiatrist that's retelling what Kovacs told him. And apparently, you know, Kovacs tells uh, all the cons as they're all freaked out about what just happened in front of him. He's like, none of you understand. I'm not locked up in here with you. You're all locked up in here with me. And to me, it's just said in a very even tone, calm, like, yeah, you guys don't know it. You're already dead. And it's just a matter <laughs> of time before I get all of you. And it's just like, yeah, to put it in Three Stooges terms, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, so, but again, it's unfortunately, and it's a, it's a, it's a depressing comic, but I really think it's an mm. adult story. And again, you see this psychiatrist just lose all optimism. And really at the end, he's almost, I mean, he's certainly not going out and, and causing any vigilantism the way Rorschach is. But yeah, he just kind of is like, yeah, the world is a cesspool and all all of the Rorschach narrative that you get from the rest of the Watchmen comic and stuff. Now it's coming out of the psychiatrist. Um, and I do think there's enough in the comic that you do understand it uh, from both sides. And also another reason why I would um, recommend it to someone who's never read comics, they might only think of comics as superhero stuff or mm-hmm. uh, one of my best friends from college. uh his wife came with us inside of a comic store one time while we were waiting for our dinner reservation. Luckily there was a comic store right by and she started like picking up issues and thumbing through the art. And she's like, I had no idea how sophisticated the art is these days. She's like, you know, I mean, I grew up with the comic strips in the, in the newspapers and, you know, things of the equivalent of like Beano and stuff like that in terms right, of yeah. American comics. And she's like, I didn't know comics were like this. And it's like, yeah. And it's obviously only gotten more sophisticated with the level of art and things. And I think, uh, I, I, I mean, Dave, God, you know, I'm so fortunate that Dave Gibbons likes my show and comes back as much as he does. Yeah. And is so complimentary to me. And I walk on air every time he comes on because, it re- I mean, he really is truly one of my favorite artists and writers and the ability to have been able to talk to him about not only Watchmen, but other things that he's done over his career. And um, I always make sure that when I talk to Dave, uh, that I do talk about things more than Watchmen. I mean, I I Mm -hmm. get why Alan Moore rolls his eyes at a lot of us (laughs) and, you know, because of the superhero stuff he did. And it's like, I've done much more interesting and sophisticated stuff since. And also, Dave will never say it, but they, unfortunately, nobody was expecting Moby Dick with Watchmen. And right. that's what we got. And so on the one hand, you know, DC promised them, well, yeah, once it's out of print, after a couple of years, the rights will revert back to you. Well, it's never been out of print yeah, because it's so great. Because it's one of not only the greatest graphic novels of all time, but one of the greatest, as Time Magazine said, at the end mm-hmm. of the 20th century, one of the greatest novels of all time. And that's why I say nobody was expecting Moby Dick. It's like, this is a classic. And I, I kind of understand DC keeping the rights to it. Also, this is uh, several uh, stewards of DC's publishing that now control it. So the deal was never with them, the, the current owners. I mean, it's classic corporate, well, I didn't make that deal with you. And that, you know, I can't mm. be held responsible 
for uh you know what, well, whatever inherited. deal was ma- yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever yeah exactly what i've inherited and whatever deal was made you know years ago all we know is every year when we go back and look at what of our which of our graphic novels are selling well watchmen is always in the top 10 i mean it's just again yeah. what do you do when that's the the greatest example of graphic novels to come from your publishing company you don't you, <laughs> you don't give it up no. so here we here we are but anyway, I think it's a I do think that's like one of the best chapters. And mm-hmm. I think it works as a self-contained story. Definitely. And it, it, as you kind of say as well, with your example of your friend, um, is it, it will show people that don't necessarily know about comics, how sophisticated they are, both in, in the art, but also the storytelling as yes. well. Because obviously a lot of people just think that, you know, it's just, you know, kids stories with you know, capes and tights. Right. <laughs> Basically, well, but... and also like his, his relationship with his wife slowly deteriorates throughout the comic. Yeah. And, and you see it and hear it. And, um, God, he's at a, he's at a dinner party and, you know, they're expecting just happy kind of table talk. And he's describing one of the graphic kills that, uh, Rorschach, uh, described to him. And also he goes, uh, at the beginning of the uh, sessions, he's like, good morning, Walter. How are you today? And, you know, all positive and stuff. And by the end, it's like, all right, hello, Roshak. You know, what do you, you know, what do you want to talk about today? And again, he's given mm. up. He's, he's really, really given up. And then that's, again, it's a, it's a very adult story in, in the best way. It's a very mature yeah. story. So. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, now coming on to our last question in regards to comics, and that is, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Well, if it's, I, I don't know, because again, I was thinking more Planet of the Apes ape uh, apocalypse, so I, I was afraid that maybe you know they don't want to, they don't want to uh, expose that humans can read. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I was a little afraid that maybe taking a comic book would distract me from su- surviving the status quo. If it was a desert island situation, it would probably be the New Frontier uh, collection again. Nice. So I, I didn't want to leave you hanging without an answer, without a comic book answer. But I mean, really, New Frontier is probably my absolute favorite comic. So that would be one that if faced with, you know, uh, the isolation and uh, no chance for any new comics to ever come my way again and stuff, it would probably be New Frontier. Nice. Fantastic. Well, um, along with a copy of the Omnibus edition of uh, DC New Frontier, uh, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take with you as well? Um, well, again, now I have to go back to Heston, and I would either find a, a car or some mode of transportation or a horse, again, playing into the future Planet of the Apes uh, scenario where civilization has collapsed and everybody's either in wagons or on horseback and stuff. But yeah, I would... Mm-hmm. Uh, I would grab Linda Hamilton and get on our horse or, you know, if there were still cars and it was a Mad Max kind of civilization falling apart apocalypse. And yeah, I would, uh, I would, you know, again, just manage to find a way to uh, get a companion and escape and, uh, you know, head for, head for parts unknown. And, uh, you know, even in, even in America, there are still parts unknown or whatever, but yeah, I would try and uh, get out of, uh, the uh the clutches of the apes and yeah i wouldn't i mean a weapon you know they're they're apes they could rip me apart without any weapons so yeah yeah, i mean guns guns would work for a while until i ran out of bullets and not expecting an ape apocalypse i was thinking 
well, if it was maybe either a zombie apocalypse or a, a vampire apocalypse, perhaps a silver-edged axe, because I know silver kills vampires, werewolves, and then, of course, an axe, you, you know, you chop off a zombie head and stuff. So I thought a, sil a silver-bladed axe would be a, a useful tool. So, so those are my thoughts. And, of course, it would work on an ape, I guess, but you'd have to really catch the ape sleeping. Uh, yeah. good luck with that. And boy, that first, that first, uh, whack better be, you know, Deadly. better hit the mark right away <laughs> or that ape is going to wake up and tear you apart again. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, man. I, I just think, I just think the ape strength, uh, God, as we know, chimpanzees could be vicious and scary. Oh my beings. gosh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let alone, crazy. let alone full, yeah, full apes or gorillas or whatever. Yeah, man. So uh, I don't know, 100%. but it's funny. So get, get, so get you... out there's the best tactic, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you picked the ape apocalypse, though. Be intelligent ape, because I am. I'm a massive plan original five movie Planet of the Apes fan. I respect the new Matt Reeves movies. I have to confess, I still haven't seen the final one. Much to the disappointment of so many of my friends who do love both mm. the new Matt Reeves movies and also uh, the classic movies. It's like classic Bond that I really think yeah. even those even the warts on the final um, I'm trying to remember my battle battle for the planet of the apes right. like even that in its low budget weird way I think is such a great effective movie mm -hmm. and conquest is scary as hell in a great way and so violent at the end and I had only in the last ten years finally saw the original ending which is much more vicious than uh the the one that we got in the theaters where you know Caesar's now it's time that we put our weapons down and you know uh, show us show compassion to our <laughs> human friends and blah blah, blah. you know and I love Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell is awesome. He was That's amazing. a great impression. <laughs> when I was in uh, New York Comic Con one year, um there was a couple that were cosplaying and they had uh, full on uh ape costumes but they wore Star Trek uh, original series clothes over them so it was a combination of like two of my favorite nerds i'm a massive star trek fan as well and um i'm like oh that's amazing and i and i forget what my question was to them but uh the man in a very good uh roddy mcdowell answer was like well we're pacifists so we don't believe in violence and i'm like oh that's awesome <laughs> and i love also in the second movie that the makeup was so good in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, it's not Roddy McDowell; it's another actor playing Cornelius because Roddy McDowell had a had a film conflict that he was shooting another film because he oh, loved the franchise and he loved Arthur Jacobs, the producer. And oh my God, there's uh, in the box set there's a full length uh, documentary that he narrates, and in addition to that, there's even a separate background interview that he does about his experience with the apes. And you know, he did the TV show afterwards. So I just love. Uh, the fact that they got a such a great actor in Roddy McDowell. I love his non uh, <laughs> makeup uh, performances. And I mean, got his, I mean, when he was a little kid, he was a great actor. His stuff from the seventies was fantastic. He did a lot of fun cheese in the eighties uh, and into the nineties before he passed away. Uh, I loved when he would play the devil on fantasy Island and it was him against Ricardo Montalban. And and the, and of course, then they go back to being together in, uh, you know, uh, uh, conquest of the Planet of the Apes as well, and uh, and uh, escape from the Planet of the Apes as Cornelius before he's before he plays Caesar. 
So no, I mean, I, I just, yeah, I love Roddy McDowell. So, and then he's so, he is a really, really strong reason why I love the Ape franchise as much as I do. That's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really happy that that worked out <laughs> in terms of choosing <laughs> yeah, the right apocalypse like, for you. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you must know that I love Planet of the Apes. That's hilarious. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, John Suntris, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, Samuel, my pleasure. I hope uh, I hope I didn't blather too much. No, not at all um it's it's been a riveting conversation um and uh for for the listeners one more time uh where can they find you online sure uh website wordballoon.com i have my audios and videos there uh that that post directly there once they're live you can also obviously get them through any podcast audio platforms uh i have my youtube channel as well word balloon and social media on twitter that's where i'm most active at John Word Balloon. Uh, I do have my Facebook page under my name, John Suntress, and then uh, Instagram under Word Balloon. Fantastic. And of course, all those links are in the show notes, folks. So go click through, check out John's stuff. If you're if you're not listening to Word Balloon already, what are you doing? Um, and uh, yeah, John, again, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to, to come on the show. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that our paths may cross one day at a con that would be great man truly uh hoping to uh get overseas and hit some of the european conventions i've actually been invited uh pre-covid uh to uh, one of the dublin shows and i would love to do that but also uh my my buddy sal abenanti who's so close with alex ross always goes to luca or or did pre-covid every year I can mm-hmm. see that happening. So yeah, that would that'd be terrific. But honestly, man, it, it means a lot that you reached out. I, I thank you for asking me to do this. It was a lot of fun. Fantastic. Well, thanks, John. Um, take care. And uh, yeah, uh, hopefully, as I say, our, our paths will cross one day. That'd be great, man. Awesome. Right. Thanks, John. Bye. Thanks again to John for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out John's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.